scriptures with you, I'd like for you to turn to Luke, the fifth chapter in the New Testament, Luke chapter 5. And as you do so, I just wanted to note uh, the need uh, for ongoing prayer for uh, Norma Stickney uh, in the loss of a brother uh, whose services were this past week, Gordon Flax, uh, that would be David's uncle as well. And so we need to keep their family in our prayers. Uh, if you've watched the news, you know that the state of California is, is on fire at both ends and there's been loss of life there. We need to be in prayer uh, for those that have lost and those that continue to struggle uh, with responding to the fires in California. Uh, then this week we have on Tuesday night at 6 o'clock, if you have not signed up for it, uh, today's a good day to make sure you do, uh, for the Senior Saints Holiday Dinner here at the church at 6 o'clock. It's going to be a wonderful evening with some great music and, and great food and fellowship. And I want to ask that you pray for that time as well as we go to the Lord once again. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And I ask that you would always do what no preacher on this earth could do. That, Father, you, you touch hearts. That you use your word to just mature us into the kind of believers you want us to be. That, Father, you guide us uh, in, in all that we do. Father, I thank you for being the one that's been there and will be there uh, for the Stickney family. And I ask you to provide grace and comfort for them. Father, I ask that you would provide relief for those that are facing the fires in California. Protect the responders there on the front line that are, that are battling the blazes. Be with the families that have faced loss. And then, Father, as we gather together uh, this Tuesday night for a, a holiday meal, Lord, to celebrate Thanksgiving and Christmas, I just ask that you would bless that time, not only with a good turnout, but with good conversation and good connections as well. And Father, again, I just thank you for being a, a good, wonderful Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, as I thought about the different kinds of people in our world, I realize we can certainly have the kind of heart, the kind of attitude that puts people into categories, sometimes even to the category of untouchable. I love the story that, that one father told of his little boy, Derek. Now, Derek has now grown up. He's a great dad himself. He leads worship like David does at his home church. But when Derek was in the first grade, he came home from school one day with his sister and he said, Mom, Dad, there are these kids on the school bus that just smell terrible. And his, his mom said, Derek, you know, and he was one of those kids that, that just has no filter anyway. And, and she said, Derek, you don't say anything, do you? And he said, no, Mom, I just sit there and hold my nose. <laughs> now, he's come a long way since then, and, and hopefully we have too. Because we know, don't we, that Jesus has a way of moving among people that most of the world holds their nose at, that most of the world keeps at a distance. You know, it's been said that you can know a person by the company they keep. And man, how people must have scratched their heads trying to apply that principle to Jesus. Because not only did the perfect person who ever walked this planet live the perfect life, but how did he manage to attract so many notoriously imperfect people? He just 
blew away all the perceptions of what God was really like. And today we meet Jesus in Luke chapter 5 in, in the New Testament in the Bible. And it's the story, it's one of my favorites, it's of this untouchable guy that Jesus did not see that way. I want you to start with me in verse 12 in Luke 5. It says there, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. Now let me stop for a second and just say that term, covered in leprosy, you'll only find that in Luke's gospel account. Because Luke is a doctor. And that term in Greek is actually a medical term for an advanced case of leprosy. So of all the writers, Luke alone records that detail. And when this man, with an advanced case of leprosy, it says, when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and he begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. You know, it's kind of cool to me that this guy acknowledges right up front the authority of Jesus. He calls him what? Lord. In effect, he says, Lord, I believe you can do anything. And you may not heal me exactly in the way that I thought you might. You might not heal me right away. In fact, you might not do it at all. But I know this much. I know that you could if you wanted to. It reminds me of how the founders of AA wrote about their experience when they said this. We found that God could and would if he were sought. God could and would if he were sought. And there's a whole bunch of us in this room that have found that to be absolutely true. And if that's true, as millions of lost sinners who are now found can attest, then it's also true that God can't and he won't if he's not. We need to seek him. And this guy in the story, he makes the first move. He says, I want to be well. I want a life. And so he sought Jesus out and he said, I really, really believe that you could. I just want to know, would you? Luke 5.13, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. Now the word here for touched literally means to fasten onto. In other words, when Jesus heals this man, it's not like some faith healer who smacks somebody on the forehead and they fall backwards. He literally latches onto this man. It is a tender grasp, a loving touch. And it has been so long since Anybody had fastened onto him. And so Jesus fastens onto him and he says there, I'm willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Verse 14, then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, <laughs> right, <laughs> but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. You see, the people around that would have known this man to be a leper for such a long time, they would have a, a, a lot of difficulty accepting him back into society. But if the priests inspected him and accepted his offering, it would validate this man in the eyes of the people. Plus, it showed that Jesus respected the law. And so he tells this guy, don't, don't tell anybody about this. But look at verse 15 and 16. Yet the news about him spread all the more. You think this guy might have talked? 
So the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Now that's a quick story, but I want to just go back and I want to unpack this a little bit. And I want to go back and look at this disease called leprosy in the first century. You see, it was a huge medical disaster for a person. It began with with weariness, with lethargy, and, and pain in your joints and muscles. And then discolored patches of skin would appear on your body that would turn into ulcerations and sores on, on your face and extremities. There would be this intense smell of rotted flesh, and your vocal cords would hemorrhage. You would lose sensation in your extremities, and it it was a horrible disease. And eventually, what affected the outside would affect the internal organs, and whole systems would cascade and collapse in on themselves. But it was worse than, than just physical. See, leprosy wasn't just considered a disease of the whole body. It was considered in that day a disease of the soul. And it carried with it this huge social stigma. And this disease was seen to be a curse from God that announced to the rest of the world, this person is unclean from the inside out as well as the outside in. And not only were they labeled as unclean, they were instructed to shout that word about themselves whenever they got close to another human being, especially to groups or to crowds of people, which they seldom got close to crowds because they were quarantined into colonies of like-infected people pushed to the side. When somebody received the word that leprosy had invaded their bodies, they were immediately taken out of their homes. They lost their spouse They lost their kids, they lost their friends, they lost their job, they lost their reputation. If they had any position in the society of the day, they lost their position and eventually they would lose their fingers and toes, their hands, their feet, their noses, their ears, and eventually their lives. They carried a disease that marked them in isolation socially, physically, and spiritually. They were seen as the worthless wounded, the untouchables. And that's the way they saw themselves. And you know, when you hear about their condition, of how it went below the surface, if we're honest about how we look at ourselves I think one of the truths we need to acknowledge today is that sometimes our lives are an absolute disaster. Sometimes our lives, inside out and outside in, seem like absolute disasters. Mother Teresa, who worked among the lepers in Calcutta, India, once said this. She said, we have drugs for people with diseases like leprosy, but the drugs do not treat the main problem. The disease of being unwanted. And if you have ever felt unwanted for any reason, you know how horrible that feels. Whether you didn't make the team, or maybe you got let go from a job. Maybe you were rejected for a date or something even more painful. When you feel unwanted, it it just kind of sucks the life right out of you, doesn't it? 
And you multiply that times a thousand. And that's the way these lepers felt in Jesus' day. Absolutely helpless and absolutely hopeless. Can you imagine what it would be like to be forced to strictly cry out unclean about yourself so that people could avoid you? To walk through your life and see your former neighbors out doing their gardening, working in their yard, but not you. To see your former friends laughing together and enjoying each other's company. To see your children playing in the yard, but you no longer get to be a part of their life. To be so alive and yet so dead. To feel like the psalmist would declare in Psalm 109, 22, I am poor and needy, and it's my heart that's wounded within me. Or to feel like Job, who would say, my days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. They come to an end without hope. I like the way Sue Monk Kidd wrote this. She said, it's anguish to come to that place in life where you know all the words, but none of the music. And that must be the way this guy felt. In his advanced state of disease, you wonder, how long had it been since a hand had touched him? When was the last time he'd had a little kid latch itself around his, his legs? When was the last time he was embraced by a friend? When was the last time he was even bumped into? You see, the religious leaders of that day, the spiritual Pharisees, they taught that if you even touched a person like this, then you shared their uncleanness. So people avoided lepers at all cost, especially religious rabbis. In fact, strict rule-enforcing rabbis, they were the last people that lepers wanted to see. Because he knew if he got close to a rabbi that they could get busted for breaking the religious laws. And their life would be forfeit as well as the life of their children and their spouses. And rabbis protected themselves. They looked at themselves as being so holy and so close to God. And they were unapproachable to any marginalized people of that day. And the great irony, do you see it here? The only rabbi that the leper could ever approach was God himself. God in the flesh. See, another truth that we need to recognize is that Jesus was and is still the most approachable person on the planet. Prostitutes, tax collectors, little kids... Brilliant scholars, lawyers, doctors, widows, uneducated fishermen, it didn't matter. And so this leper knows his reputation and he takes a risk and he approaches Jesus. He's heard something perhaps or seen something about this rabbi that made him at least comfortable enough to approach him. And this man, feeling untouchable, Feeling unworthy and so unclean, he falls with his face in the dirt. And in spite of the Pharisees, in spite of this, his own condition and the crowds around him and the social implications, filled with compassion, the scripture said, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I'm willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. 
immediately healing flooded into his inmost parts. And what's so cool to me about this story is that even before Jesus met this guy and knew he needed to be healed, he knew this guy needed to be touched. I mean, think about it. Jesus was powerful enough. Friends, he could have done drive-through healings. He could have isolated himself to one spot. You know, may I take your order, please? Thank you for order. Please pull up to the next window. He could have set up a headquarters and, and sent out healing vibes for 100 miles around. He could have put up a social media post and said, click here for, for healing. But he knew the power of a personal touch. I love what Max Lucado writes from this leper's perspective. He says this, I saw him, and before he spoke, I knew that he cared. Somehow I knew he hated this disease as much, no more, than I hate it. My rage became trust, and my anger became hope. From behind a rock, I watched him descend a hill. I waited until he was only paces from me, and then I stepped out. Unclean, someone shouted. I don't blame them. I was a huddled mass of death. But I scarcely heard them. I scarcely saw them in their panic. I'd seen a thousand times. His compassion, however, I'd never beheld. Everyone stepped back except him. He stepped toward me. I said, Lord, you can heal me if you will. Had he healed me with a word, I would have been thrilled. Had he cured me with a prayer, I would have rejoiced. But he touched me. Imagine that. Unworthy of the touch of man, yet worthy of the touch of God. You know, don't you, that God has wired us up to be touched I've listed a lot of verses there in in your outline. I want to challenge you to look through many of those. Uh, Those are times that God touched people from prophets in the Old Testament to blind men, from wounded individuals to the dead that he brought back to life. It is well documented in our world that human beings need to be touched. And we all know that there's studies out there that people that laugh a lot, they tend to live longer. Well, there's studies out there as well that people that are touched regularly or often, they live longer as well. And some of you, you're cuddlers and you're laughers both, and you're going to live to be 180 years old probably. But there are people here that are in trouble because you don't laugh. You don't know the joy of the Lord that's your strength. And it's been a long time since somebody seized you put an arm around you, shook your hand sincerely from the heart. Now, I'm not saying we all need to be touchy-feely kind of people because some of us, our personalities, they're just not that way. But I'm convinced that some of us are in trouble and that some of us, perhaps all of us, can do better when it comes to reaching out and touching the life of another person. How many of you have ever been to the antique stores over on National Road? Or you love to go to the antique stores and walk through all that junk, I, I mean treasure, that, that is for sale. Um, I, I like antiques, but I don't like going to those stores personally because of all the figurines and those nice plates and crystal everywhere. And, and I'm just being honest. 
You know, because of my eye disease, uh, I'm, I'm always knocking over stuff. And, and I've got enough junk in my trunk that if I bend down to look at something, I knock stuff over two hours away, okay? I mean, I just get nervous every time I walk in those places. And I have to shuffle just to make sure I don't bump into something or, or knock something over, let alone how nervous Cheryl must be when I'm in places like that. And they always put stuff so close in those stores, don't they? That it's just hard to get, get around without bumping into things. And every shelf has a little sign. Do not touch. Do not touch. And if you know anything about me, I like to touch. <laughs> and, and there are times as we go through those things that, that I know she's got to be thinking, I've just got to get him out of here. I've got to get him through the doors without brushing up against anything or breaking anything. Because if you break it, you buy it. That's right. Now, gang, every day we brush up against people of incredible worth. People who are already broken. And God has attached two things to every one of us. He's attached an incredibly high price tag that says, This person is worth the life of my one and only son. And God also goes around attaching signs as well that say, Please touch Please touch. Please touch. Please touch. I may have taught you this before, so forgive me if I have, but there's a Greek word that we translate as compassion. And I, and I love the word. It's the word splachna. In fact, can you say that with me this morning? Splachna. Try it again. Splachna. It, 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 has, it doesn't come from here. It's got to come from down here in your gut, okay? It's like you, you ate bad Taco Bell and you're just splackening all over everything, okay? So one more time, splackna. Literally, the word is translated in the King James Version as the bowels of compassion or the bowels of mercy. It means a clenching in your guts, a churning and a burning that will not let you rest until you do something about the situation. You see brokenness or you see misery and somehow you can't stop thinking about it. And it gets into your hands or it gets into your feet or it gets into your mouth or in your wallet or in your service and you just have to do something to show compassion. And one of the things I love about this church is your growing heart. One of the things that I love about the mission team of this church and the outreach team and the children's team is they just look for ways and love to splackna on this world. And, and friends, I've just got to ask, where is your heart for this house? I mean, God said, my house, it's going to be a house of prayer for all the nations, announcing that there is hope for everyone. And I hope you are honored as much as I am that this church has never gone below 10%. Sometimes it's been over 13% of our general giving that goes to mission work. That's compassion to reach those in Springfield and around the globe who feel forgotten, who feel like they're untouchable people that need to know there is a God that reached out to them with the greatest hand of flesh in Jesus Christ, and there is hope. Now next week, we're, you're going to get a letter in the mail from me about Try the Tithe Sunday, and next Sunday, we're going to do that. I'm challenging every one of you. If you only have $5 to your name 
Friends, that's 50 cents, 10% that you bring to the Lord. Whatever God puts on your heart, I want you to, for one Sunday, if you don't already do it, we're going to try the tithe and see what God can do according to the verse that Jim read from Malachi chapter 3. You see, as God's people, as his followers, we are called to reach out and to touch lives. Because honestly, couldn't you use some hope in your life? People need hope. And even though our numbers as a congregation, they're not off the charts like some churches are, I can see hearts expanding. And I want to see more of you going on serving trips within the U.S. to to the Mountain Mission School or the Ohio Christian Children's Home or even outside the U.S., you know, to Kosovo, to Haiti, to Africa. We've got a great mission team here as a church, and they can help link you up, and you really ought to think about doing that. But some of you, you can serve right here locally in this community. You can help prepare meals for those families and individuals that are going into surgeries or illness. You can sit with an individual that's wrestling with dementia and give their spouse or their children a break. You can come alongside kids that are in low-income schools and be a mentor or a reading buddy. You could stop by with, with a word of thanks or a snack and visit with first responders in town. You can serve food to the homeless. And as I posted yesterday on Facebook, I believe that that the best citizens and soldiers are Christians. Today, you can really celebrate Veterans Day by saying thank you. Never underestimate how important it is to, to be told thanks. Or if you know someone somewhere in their place that their meal is not paid for today and they're a vet, you pick up the check. Or maybe you stop by and just say, can I pray for your meal And you pray a prayer of gratitude for them. Or you offer to be a driver for disabled American veterans or for parents and grandparents. Let me just admonish you. Children learn at a very, very early age. And they respond beyond themselves by watching you live beyond yourself. And if we want to have a nation where Soldiers and those that are officials are respected. It comes through your example. And there are many ways you can make a difference this Thanksgiving, this Christmas season in a person's life. Or you know what? If Jesus impresses on your heart to do something, and don't wait for the church to organize it. Do it. Touch the lives of other people. And you'll find that when you do, it changes you. A young lady by the name of Jody went to Haiti to serve on the Northwest Haiti mission team. And there were dozens of kids there that were waiting to see a dentist for the first time. Now, as you can imagine, there was a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety in those little kids' lives. But Jody sat next to this little girl who was just sobbing her heart out. And she scooped her up and sat her down in her lap. And she said, before long, this little girl was sobbing before long. I started crying too. And I looked down at her little green dress and I noticed there were tear stains all over it. I couldn't tell which tears were hers and which tears were mine. But she said this, when our tears intermingle and our compassion starts churning and it gets into our hands and feet, it shows a hurting world. 
that there really is hope for everyone. You know, it's hard to read the Bible. It's hard to read in the Gospels or examine the life of Jesus and not understand. We were called to reach out and touch this world with the love that we've received. In Psalm 82, verse 3, it says this, Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. You do that in the power of Christ. James 1.27 says, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father, it means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you or jade you or, or make you cynical as a believer. Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those that are being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and the helpless and see that they get justice. And if you've never read this, friends, this is directly from the lips of God in Isaiah 58. This is the kind of fasting I want. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Listen to this. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And don't hide from relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn. Then your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind Then when you call, the Lord will answer, yes, I'm here. He will quickly reply. I love that. Because that tells me if if I live that way, then my healing will come. I have learned there is great healing for yourself by not focusing so much on yourself. That's why we can celebrate hearts of otherness today. People who put their lives on the line as veterans who serve people they've never met because they're serving not for themselves. They're serving others. When you become a hope dispenser for others, friends, that's when the light breaks through for you and God starts to change you. 1 John 4.19 is a blunt And pretty straightforward message. It says, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love brother and sister whom they've seen cannot love God whom they've not seen. And he's given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Way back when Cheryl and I were in college, back in the 1800s, there was a song that released that that kind of captured what I'm trying to share this morning. And it simply says this, The kitchen smelled like supper and the table's already waiting. And someone said we ought to pray before we ate. And while I thank the Lord for all he's so bountifully bestowed, but please don't pray too long because the meat is getting cold. On the other side of town, a mother sets another table for herself and several children as best as she is able. Not too much, because last night's man, well, he didn't pay so well. Will there be enough for breakfast? It's really hard to tell. Am I passing by the man beside the road to Jericho? 
Have I cruelly snubbed the woman there as the well, to the well I go? Am I my brother's keeper? A, a cup of water, did you say? Is a second mile outside my door or somewhere down the way? The news is over now. There's football on another station when at the door appears my aunt and half of our relation. All her life, <laughs> and we all remark how nice it is to have a family here this way. It's our love that binds us oh so close and we'd all love to stay. Though in a dark and dingy room, a young girl's eyes, the walls around her, and she wonders if one's soul would care if in three weeks they found her. All her life she's been rejected, never had an honest friend. Is it life or mere existence? And who would care if she went? Am I passing by the man beside the road to Jericho? Have I cruelly snubbed the woman there as to the well I go? Am I my brother's keeper? A cup of water, did you say? Is the second mile outside my door or somewhere down the way? Well, the family's gone and it's quiet and the bed is soft beneath me. But in my sleep, my restless dreams, they creep up to meet me. And somewhere in the distance, I hear hungry children cry. A girl, unloved, uncared for, brings a tear into my eye. If people saw me weeping, they would surely think I'm mad. I'd tell them it was a nightmare or the dream I dreamed was bad. I regain my self-control for tomorrow is Sunday school. And bloodshot eyes on Sunday morning, well, folks would talk a lot, you know. If a man loves not his brother, he is able now to see that he makes himself a liar when he says that he loves me. Little children, it's not your words and thoughts that prove your love to all. It's your lo if your love is not an action then it isn't love at all. So you and I might not be able to travel around the world, although I hope some of you do. But I'm telling you today, there will be somebody in your world that needs hope. There will be somebody that crosses your path before the, the sun goes down today that needs a touch. Someone to extend a hand to, to, to embrace, to put an arm around their shoulder, even, even a fist bump, just to acknowledge that they're alive. John Ortberg wrote this. He said, in a contagious world, we learn to keep our distance. If we get too close to those that are suffering, we might get infected with their pain. It may not be convenient or comfortable, but only when you get close enough to catch their hurt will they be close enough to catch your love. It's true. Again, I love this leper approaching Jesus by faith. He said, you can do this. I know you can. I know you have the power. I just didn't know whether or not you were that kind of God. And Jesus reached out and touched the man to announce to the whole world, yes, God is exactly that kind of God. I know this verse means a lot to some of you, and it means a lot to me too. In Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those that are crushed in spirit. Why, why is he so effective with the broken in heart and the crushed in spirit? It's because he's close. He's close. He's that kind of God. He's the God of miracles and he doesn't do miracles to show off. He doesn't do miracles to create a big crowd. He even told this man and others at times, you know, just keep it under wraps. He healed people because he could and he wanted to. But here's the whole deal, though. Healing their bodies, 
that wasn't the ultimate goal. If physical healing was the ultimate goal, then none of those people that he healed would have ever died. But they all eventually died. I like what Philip Yancey writes about this, and and, and we'll close in just a moment. He said, by no means did Jesus eliminate all suffering. He healed only a few in one small patch of the globe, but he did answer the question of whether God cares. Regardless of how the world treats them, the poor and the sick have assurance because of Jesus that God knows no undesirable. There really is hope. Whatever you're feeling, whether you feel wanted or unwanted, there is hope that you are not undesirable. You're not unclean. Your life is never so much a mess that God cannot reach you. And when you have that feeling that he's there for you, it is hard to keep quiet. This man, he didn't infect Jesus with his disease. Jesus infected him with hope. And he stirred up his heart and he just had to tell others. Mark's gospel records it this way. In Mark 1.45, instead he went out and he began to talk freely, spreading the news. And as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. You see, this place, this, this place is full of people that Jesus has fastened on to. He has lifted you out of your sins, out of your depression, out of your grief, out of your loss, and all kinds of people in this church family have been set free from addictions and hurts and habits and hang-ups. And God has put you back together. He's infused you with a very real, eternal hope that will never disappoint you. And once you've been touched by Jesus' love, once you've been truly infected by the life of Jesus, then you start to move into your school. You move into your workplace, into your neighborhood, into your home with this contagious faith and joy. And I'm telling you, friends, that is the miraculous healing. In my office, at my desk, I have a few things pinned up. And I want to close with this. This is a quote I have there by by Ian Watson, and it says this. We live on a contaminated planet. It's contaminated on every level, and it should have been quarantined from heaven. No reasonable God would go near it with a 10-foot pole. But Jesus is no reasonable God. He became a human being, and he took on our uncleanness, yours and mine. But instead of the world infecting him, he infected the world with his immaculate infection. And it's still spreading. Friends, I'm going to ask that you stand with me this morning. If you would, stand with me. And I want to ask wherever you are on this journey, friends, if you have been infected with with the love and the touch of Jesus in your life, tell somebody. Share Jesus. But if you are here today, And you have felt unworthy, unloved, as if you were untouchable. Then I pray the Holy Spirit is reaching out to you and you feel God saying, I'm ready. I want to touch you. Do you want to be clean? Maybe today is the day you say, I'm ready. 
to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm ready to have his forgiveness just flow over me like the waters of baptism behind me, to have my sins washed away, that I can be clean and whole in his presence. Friends, if you've got that need today, I want you to come as we sing, but before you do, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have always been and you will always be the most approachable person on this planet. Jesus, even though you gave your life for us and you ascended to sit at the right hand of the throne of God, the Father, you're still close. You're right here with us in your kingdom. It's ready to break through the ripping fabric of this reality to show us your kingdom's coming. And you want us to be a part of it forever. Father, for those of us here that know your forgiveness is real. The blood that you shed is complete and it is more than enough for our lives to be reconciled to a holy God. Father, just keep churning up our guts. Keep filling us with compassion and let it, let it flow into our hands and our feet and our eyes and our mouths and our wallets and our service to share you with others. Father, for the person this morning that is living in isolation, maybe they feel like they're living in quarantine from the rest of the world. Would you let them know that they bear the same tag we do? They are worth the life of your only begotten Son. And that, Father, they need to be touched not just by you. They need to be embraced by a church family. Not one person in this room was meant to live life alone. We were meant to live this life of faith together. We need you and we need each other. And, Father, for that person, would you help them become connected to you, connected to your church today? I pray this in Jesus' name.